This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome, everyone. I'm Craig Patterson. I'm the editor-in-chief of Retail Insider. We're joined here again with Jeannie Becker, fashion icon, uh, has been uh, in the industry for a while, including a wonderful television show, Fashion Television. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got started in the media industry. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's a funny kind of story because I originally started out in show business at the uh, tender age of 16 uh, on a CBC sitcom. You know, I wanted to be an actress. That was my thing. And I went to acting school in New York when I was 19 and, and I was, you know, doing bits and pieces, commercials and TV shows, drama series, and certainly a couple of movies, you know, it was, it was kind of a cool time in my life. Um, but then um, after having returned from studying acting in New York, I enrolled at York University uh, in the theater department. And uh, it, it just seemed a little lackluster to me because I'd already, you know, been in the Big Apple. And I was getting really bored um, <clears throat> with my studies there. So uh, on the side, I found out there was someone teaching mime in downtown Toronto, like the art of mime, you know, like pantomime. Like, um, so I uh, thought that, that could be a fun thing because that's an exacting technique. And I was so passionate about communication in general. I thought, wow, I'd love to be a mime. You know, it's like you either create the illusion or you don't. I mean, it really is. It just depends on you and, and nothing else. No words. It, I, I, there was something very romantic about it. So I started studying mime and my mime teacher said, hey, you know, you've got potential. I think you should go to Paris to study with the old man that taught me. Who is the old man that taught Marcel Marceau? And he's still teaching. So you should go. So I thought, wow. So I worked all summer uh, at the Colonial Tavern waiting on tables, saved up my money and uh, went off to Paris and studied mime. I did that for, uh, you know, well, it was under a year, but after, after a while, as much as I loved mime, I thought, you know what, if I stay here much longer, I'll run the risk of starving in a garret. I better get back to, you know, my old life and see what I can do with this new art of mime. So I came back to Toronto, enrolled back at university for a while. And um, I was with a fellow who uh, was, <laughs> he just had his um, a fellowship to study folklore at Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland. And he said, let's run off to Newfoundland together. And it was like, really? Like Newfoundland? I'm a mime artist and I'm at, what am I going to do there? And anyway, love you know, ruled. And I, we took off 1975 for St. John's, Newfoundland. I landed a gig. I was the only mime artist in the province. I want you to know. <laughs> there wasn't much work for mime artists, mime artists in, in Newfoundland in the mid seventies. But I thought I know so much about the arts now. I've studied, you know, the acting in New York and, the, and I studied at university. I studied mime in Paris. Maybe I can report on the arts for CBC radio. And I knocked on the door of CBC radio and for some reason, they bit and they said, OK, come on. And they hired me um, to do a daily you know, arts report on a, a, a kind of consumer lifestyle show. Uh, I worked at the CBC for three years. I started producing documentaries for the network. I mean, it was just crazy. I was the only mime artist in the province and I ended up with a job in radio. Wow. So in 1978, decided to move back to Toronto and see what I could do. And I had, you know, all these great demo tapes and, and I knocked on every radio station door. Chum, 1050 Chum hired me to be their good news girl. And that was the same year that they bought City TV from Moses Nimer. 
chum bots. So they said, oh, now we'd like to cross promote some of these our radio personalities onto TV. So in 1979, they took me and J.D. Roberts, who's now John Roberts of Fox News in the States. They took us over to do a show called The New Music, which was pre-MTV. You know, we just ran around with rock stars and put them on camera, went into the studios, went onto the tour buses, went backstage, went into. It was just amazing, amazing time. We were flying by the seat of our pants. We didn't know what we were doing, but it was a new kind of television and it was totally cool and totally groundbreaking. Um, and then from there started much music. And then in uh, 1985, I thought, oh, you know what? I interviewed all the rock stars I want to interview. I'm looking for the next big thing. And fashion kind of uh, looked interesting. I thought, okay, now that's an arena where the egos are enormous and <laughs> the theatricality is at an all-time high and the drama is there and the visuals are there and the... So um, we started a show called Fashion Television. Um, a, a wonderful fellow by the name of Jay Levine created it. He had this idea to do a fashion show on television. Um, and I, you know, with all my music experience and thought, you know, yeah, I, I would like to interview the designers and find out who these names are behind the labels and do for fashion, you know, maybe what uh, music television had done for the music industry. And so we created this great show that went on for 27 years. Wow. And the time was right, I think, because we were seeing that proliferation of supermodels as well as designers themselves becoming much more well-known as personalities uh, as opposed to how things were in decades past. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, all of a sudden there was this wonderful medium um, that was there to capture it all. And uh Television relies on stars and personalities and, you know, beautiful looking people and, uh, and, and drama. And, you know, so, of course, the rise of the supermodel, that, that was a natural. You know, now it, they sort of got too big for their britches in a way. And all of a sudden, then the designers didn't like the fact that the supermodels were, you know, uh, gaining all the spotlight where it really should be about the clothes first and foremost. So mm -hmm. they pulled back a little on that. And I don't think, you know, there are still some great models in the world to be sure, but I don't think that that era of the supermodel will ever, you know, return. I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of over, but boy, I mean, the whole thing was just such a great ride as you can imagine. And we were in the eye of the storm and we were there before. So like we were the first crew, except Elsa Clench had a show on, CNN called Style with Elsa Clench. But Elsa Clench was um, from New Zealand. She was um, a, a fashion editor, a proper, you know, I think she had worked at Harper's Bazaar and she looked at fashion in a very, you know, academic and journalistic way. I was an entertainment reporter. You know, I came from the arts world, certainly from the music television world. And I just looked at it like a big show, you know, and it, uh, that's how I approached it. So it was much more user friendly. You know, there was nothing esoteric about the way we covered fashion. So we made it very accessible to uh, everybody that watched and we turned on a whole generation. How did the show progress? Because I'm assuming it would have been much smaller to start. And then as it picked up, it probably got much more in the way of budgets and opportunities and travel. Yeah. And well, you know, I mean, it was uh, it was never that expensive to produce the show. Um, we mm. really did, you know, everything on a on a dime. It seemed. I mean, there 
it seemed when um, CTV took over the show in, uh, it was around, but it was around maybe the 20th anniversary. So I'm, I'm just trying to think of the year that it may have been like, say around 2005. Uh, then there was, a, the budgets were a little bit better. Um, we could hire a driver in the city that we were in to drive me and the cameraman around instead of ha having to hail a cab, which we used to have to do, if you can believe it. We'd be standing in the rain in Paris or New York at rush hour with all this gear and all this equipment and trying to, you know, get taxis. It was crazy. I mean, I really paid my dues with that show. We used to stay at some pretty flea bag hotels, you know, but a lot of stuff was Contra too, which was great, you know, like. We had deals with uh, some hotels or some airlines sometimes that would fly us to places or let us stay at, you know, beautiful hotel rooms if they had credit at the end of the show. So, oh, so that wow. worked out well. But it wasn't a, a hugely expensive show to produce. I mean, it really wasn't. Uh, and, it, it, you know, it always had great sponsorship, great support and, and great viewership. How did the designers uh, take this sort of new television program initially? Uh, ver you know, because obviously you became very well known amongst the designers later. But at first, I'm sure there was a situation they were like, who's this? I think she's Canadian person. And you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> how did yeah, that all get started? I think they were, they, they, it was, I don't know, access was pretty easy from the get go. Mm -hmm. And honestly, especially because no one else was asking them for that kind of, you know, television cameras weren't asking to get into their studios or, or put them on and they were looking for ways to promote and they thought, okay. And once they saw the, the quality of our work and the show we were putting together, it was such a, a hot little production and we had great editors and great, you know, people putting it together. Um, I think they really, uh, they really enjoyed it. And they knew that I was all about celebrating them. This was not going to be a show that was going to put them up against the wall. We weren't criticizing fashion or really analyzing it too much. We were celebrating it. And I think they really, enjoyed that and they appreciated my enthusiasm very much and and I became very friendly with the some of the great legendary designers of our day I mean people like Valentino is certainly you know uh, such a class act but then the late great Karl Lagerfeld or you know Alexander McQueen who I considered a friend uh, mm. so many brilliant brilliant designers you know all around the world that uh, Johnny Versace, you know, people weren't putting these people on TV back in those days. It was we were really the, the the only ones, you know, going into their homes and exploring their worlds and um, talking to them about the creative process far more than just talking about the. We didn't talk about the the hemlines or the silhouettes or the the shades or the you know as someone like an Elsa Clench might have done or or so many of the other fashion editors covering the scene they were talking about you know trends and we didn't care about that we wanted to talk to the individuals that were making this fabulous artistic fair and we wanted to talk to them about uh creativity and how what they were doing was really mirroring uh what was going on in life because fashion i think is a wonderful mirror of society and a great barometer of times so it helped us really you know, put into perspective too. you know, the kind of world that we were living in. I think people really enjoyed our, uh, you know, kind of stranger in a strange land approach. You know, I, I never considered myself a real fashion insider. I mean, I did become an insider as the years went by, but 
it was almost like, hey, guys, like, look at me. I'm, I'm backstage at this fashion show. And it, can you believe what you're seeing? And I <laughs> would take viewers by the hand every week and, and take them through this wonderful maze of fantasy, really, backstage at these fashion shows. And it was just magical. And the celebrities that would pop up, like you just never knew who was going to walk, you know, into your uh, camera lens and, and wow, be ready to actually talk to you. It was it was an amazing, amazing time that will never be again. I mean, it was truly a golden age of fashion. And there were celebrities as well coming into these shows. Like that wasn't something, you know, I think in decades past we were seeing, but you were front row. You'd have some pretty famous people in there that were not in the fashion world typically, but were fashionable. And a lot of them were there because they had a new book out or they had a new film out and they wanted to promote that. And they knew this is all, all of a sudden there was a lot of media focus on these fashion shows because they provided such great eye candy so more and more, you get a lot of celebrities coming because they wanted the attention. Um, some of them were actually friends of the designers. And some of them, you know, looked to these fashion houses to dress them. Some of them got paid to attend. <laughs> you got to know that. I mean, it's sort of creepy to say, but it's true, you know, because, oh, if a big star was in your front row, wow, that would look good on you, you know. as a, So uh, people came to the fashion shows for different reasons. But culturally, fashion is... is it's just such a, a vital, a vital uh, arena. It's just such an interesting um, uh, milieu because seriously, fashion is the one creative decision that everybody gets to make every day. I mean, it's up to you. You get to go to your closet and choose the way you're going to present yourself to the world. So, you know, you got to love that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a freedom. <laughs> And you, know, you you got to interview uh, Valentino, I think, when he was making yeah. the announcement of his retirement and whatnot. Let's yes. talk about some of the memorable yeah. interviews. I know that was amazing. I remember sitting at a little uh, I was at a little um, uh, cafe in Paris uh, and, and I got the call from uh, Carlos Souza, who was his uh, right hand PR man gorgeous guy and he said okay Mr. Valentino wants to talk to you and come right now can you come right now and I was like ah okay you know I grabbed my cameraman and we went uh, down to Place Vendôme and went up to Valentino had you know gorgeous space up there and sat down and he told me yes I'm gonna retire and it was really very touching uh, that he shared that with me first and foremost and I kind of got the big scoop yeah Holy cow. Yeah. And what about people like Karl Lagerfeld? Such a personality, right? You know, over the years, getting to talk to someone like that. Uh, oh, yeah, he was great. Oh, I love Carl was such a there was something about him. I mean, as chic and as cool and as edgy as he was, there was something kind of avuncular about him, like with the young models, too. They all really looked up to him because he was such a great mentor. He taught them so much about art and culture and and society. And um, for me, I, I almost feel he was a kind of mentor for me because he was always about the next. What's next? You've got to look forward. You've got to look ahead. It, it was almost a pained him sometimes to talk about the clothes that he had just sent down the runway. He'd much rather talk about, you know, what he was dreaming to do, you know, tomorrow, like very much about looking ahead. And I, that was very inspirational to me. And the fact that he was such a Renaissance man, you know, he was a great photographer. He was a great illustrator. Uh, he, he directed his, you know, some of the Chanel commercials and, and he started to make these own, his own little fashion films. 
in later years. And just the, the shows that he masterminded. I mean, those incredible shows at the Grand Palais or anytime Chanel was presenting a special kind of collection where, you know, one time it was in Monaco and one time it was on the beach in Venice. And then, you know, he just took people all over the world and, and really presented the most magical, fantastic theatrical um, presentations, extravaganzas, really. Um, yeah, I mean, remember, you know, you turn the Grand Palais into a big kind of, you know, airplanes, almost like a futuristic spaceship kind of thing. And it was, and you just felt like you were boarding this giant aircraft. Going, you know, he was, his imagination knew no bounds, wow. just knew no bounds. And he was very much considered himself a director and all his models were like the actresses and he was just going to direct them. And he, and he was so true to the spirit of Chanel. I mean, a genius to be able to, change up looks and change up collections season in and season out and and so many different collections a year right because it's not just you know two or three or four anymore it's like eight or ten or twelve and always you could see the handwriting of coco chanel running through all the collections that he turned out because he really understood what coco chanel was all about he was just so in tune with her spirit and knew what that brand should represent. And, and, uh, and he kept making it relevant to new generations of women. I think that was really important too. Like, you know, Chanel is just darn cool, you know, to, you know, 15 year olds can appreciate it, you know, as much as their grandmothers appreciate it. So. Yeah. It's one of the top selling luxury brands in the world, I believe. Um, It's right in line with, you know, the Louis Vuitton. I think Hermes is a bit less, but it's interesting because again, I read that book over the holidays and Chanel was a much smaller brand in years past. It actually took a bit of a break. I think Karl Lagerfeld really brought it into its place to be a super global leader in terms of being extremely desirable uh, with Chanel products. I think it was, well, I shouldn't say it's one of the first Louis Vuitton was certainly a trailblazer, but in terms of doing the concessions uh, in multi-brand stores, like department stores, uh, Chanel was insisting that it create its own environment within the retail store. You know, maybe you can buy the shoes on the rack at Nordstrom or Saks Fifth Avenue or, or maybe Holtz, but really you're going to a Chanel boutique to be buying the clothing or the bags, unless they're secondhand. <laughs> <laughs> but right now they can go to Russell Oliver's new place and get an old Chanel bag. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. They'll have them probably because the store Young Street had them. That's funny. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think it's quite fascinating. Um, and, and, you know, Johnny versus, well, we've lost so many designers. I mean, it's, that's not the nicest thing to talk about, but just thinking back, um, you know, the world has changed, yeah, but some of the big ones are, you know, when I started, uh, the, the, the kings of the American fashion scene, like Bill Blass and um, Jeffrey Bean, you know, great, brilliant geniuses of American design, you know, and, uh, you know, they, obviously we lost them, but, you know, even to be there for the early days of Mark Jacobs and Michael Kors careers and watch their phenomenal uh, growth and the way they skyrocketed to, become household names as well. So, you know, or when I was starting, well, Ralph Lauren's still going pretty strong, which is great to see. But um, a brand like, uh, you know, Calvin Klein, you know, himself, well, the brand certainly lives on, uh, but Calvin, 
you know, is no longer, uh, I don't think too active with the brand. I'm, I'm not sure he's just sort of really disappeared into the woodwork, but boy, he was quite a, a dashing figure on the scene. And a, a lot of these great, great artists, you know, or I think of uh, uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier, you know, another one of my absolute favorites, you know, or think of incredible, like Christian Lacroix, one of the true poets of fashion, a great, great, artistic mind you know and now uh, I, I think he's designing for the theater or, um you know and he's very very good at that but but a shame that he uh you see the thing too is big business sort of chewed up a lot of these people and i don't want to say like spat them out but boy oh boy big business really did a number on fashion and sucked a lot of the artistry out of it and a lot of the players just didn't want to do it anymore it, it just they were so beleaguered by what they had to do and the way they had to dance in order to, you know, survive. And turn a profit. Wow. Yeah. Cause we, those big conglomerates, LVMH, Richemont, uh, you know, they do, they, they want returns on their investment. Right. Yeah. So. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's understandable, I guess, but it's too bad that fashion became that kind of big business because for me, it, it kind of lost its luster, you know, what it did along the way. I mean, there's still some, great stuff going on in fashion to be sure, but not like it was. It's just not like it was. And then when I think of the extravagance, like the money that they used to throw around back in the day, like some of those fashion shows are like, what? how much they must've cost. And just, it was just insane, unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's different now. And these, the, I don't know, these fashion films, yeah, they're beautiful, beautifully produced things that you can sit there in the comfort of your own home and watch the shows. You don't have to get on a plane and haul your butt to, to Paris and run around and, you know, try to see as many shows as you can. But I don't know, I, I sort of crave uh, seeing a live theatrical event. Nothing beats that for me, um, seeing a fashion show come down a runway, you know, in the way that they used to, and, you know, they still do to some degree with, you know, without audiences there anymore, which is sad, but. Yeah. It's weird watching those runway shows. I was watching some of the collections and which one was it? Was it Chanel that only had one person in the audience? Or yeah. The... <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is actually yeah. a statement right there. I mean, to be that one person, that's pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, these are such enigmatic times, you know, whatever they can think of to put a smile on your face or make you, you know, sit back and go. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or even I think Loewe came out with like a, a pop-up book, which was interesting. Like it was instead of a fashion show that, you know, these designers came up with really innovative things that are whenever we would have expected in our lifetimes to see. Yeah. Like Jeremy Scott from Moschino last season did that puppet show, with the marionettes. <laughs> I thought that was genius. That was so whimsical and fun. Yeah. yeah, fun stuff. It's bringing innovation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I remember, um, yeah, I grew up in a small town in Alberta, and so I'd watch fashion television, sometimes almost in secret because it was considered, you know, not the Alberta thing to do to be interested in fashion. But of course, I was a young kid wanting to live in a big city. I remember things like, you know, you, Jill Sander had an opening. I think it was a new boutique at Holt Renfrew mm -hmm. on Bloor Street in Toronto. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really because you must have got to experience a lot of, you know, the, the retail stores and everything across Canada, obviously oh. beyond. But, um, you but know, the, the designers that these retailers would host, I mean, go, you know, Donna Karen come, would come in, Bill Glass interviewed him, Oscar de la Renta was, you know, so they would just come to Toronto and 
do a public personal appearance. And I was often hired by the department store to, you know, sit there and interview um, the designer for, you know, 20 minutes in front of the crowd. And that was great fun. Yeah. You don't see too much of that anymore. And I don't even know what designers would do that. They just, you know, yes, they come and they do their trunk shows maybe, but it's just different. Like I'm talking about the big name designers, like, you know, Donna Karen and Mark Jacobs. Yeah. It was really, <laughs> that was a great time. And what great. were the big stores doing it? It was obviously a whole Renfrew, but I know mean, Eden's had its uh, ensemble shop, which, you know, carried, I think, in Garo. Like that was certainly a department that uh, I think brought in quite a few high end designers. Obviously, the St. Regis room at Simpsons uh, and the room, they're, they're, they were sort of split up into different departments. But th- these were sort of those original fashion retailers on top of Creed's and Shea Catherine and mm-hmm. Hugo Nicholson, which I think still exists. It's still in Hazleton Avenue. It's, you know, th- but things have changed. Yeah, yeah, definitely changed. Yeah, but you know, that's what uh, life's all about, right? That's the only constant in life and in fashion. The only constant is change and you want to keep it changing. So it'll be interesting to see just how uh, how it will change. I've certainly seen a lot over the, uh, ooh, how many decades now is it? Well, if I started covering fashion in 85 and I'm still very involved in the scene and, you know, how many years is it now? Uh, hmm. Well, anyway. You do the math. Oh, it's been a few. We'll just leave 40, it at that. <laughs> Is it? Ah, a long time. You know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot come and go and come again. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful. It's been a great arena. It's a fashion uh, definitely keeps you young, I think. Oh yeah. And after um, fashion television, tell me a little bit about activities. We'll get into, you know, the book and everything after too, of course, <laughs> and podcasts, but um, uh, you know, I mean, you've, con- you've continued on, but you had edit by Jeannie Becker, the fashion line. Uh, there's still a lot of s- stuff that's been happening uh, over the years. Yeah, so. I still actually am doing a, a line now. It's a capsule collection. I did one last season and we're doing another one now for TSC. Um, the, the first one that I did with a designer by the name of Shannon Pacero. She's based in Niagara, actually, great Canadian designer. And we did a, a sustainable line, uh, a, a group of women. It's actually a women's co-op that she's been working with for the past 20 years. Um, they produced a beautiful line. Some of it was handloom sweaters, all you know, organic cotton, all natural dyes. And um, also she, uh, Shannon found some wonderful old fabric in Thailand. And these women made kimonos for us, like upcycling this old fabric that she found. And that collection was sold to uh, small uh, retailers all across uh, North America. And uh, we also had some of that TSC. So that's cool. And now I'm doing another uh, small capsule collection of, of kind of basic chic little Jersey pieces with uh, Shannon Pissero, um, and that's going to be sold at uh, TSC on my show Style Matters as well. So I've still got, you know, my hand in that yeah. business, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm most excited about a new project that I can't talk about, but it's going to be announced really soon. But it has to do with, uh, with storytelling, great, uh, a great uh, project that is in the documentary space that will uh, be, I think, very much anticipated and uh, hopefully brilliantly done because I've teamed up with some fantastic uh, filmmakers. So anyway, uh, stay tuned. Uh, That news will be coming at you uh, soon. And I do this podcast, um, which is a great compliment to my show at TSC. So it's 
Rogers is behind it all, which is great. It's called Beyond Style Matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, that podcast, uh, we've got about 14 episodes that are in the can now that you can just find it anywhere you find your podcast. And I will be starting up uh, the new ones in March. And I get a chance to talk to a lot of the wonderful old people that, you know, I really ran around the trenches with uh, to some degree, both people, um, not just people from like, uh, hmm, oh, there's so many people now, that I, like, you know, as some actresses, some designers, some stylists, um, just a whole potpourri of people who really uh, live and breathe fashion, but also um, just move through the world in an extraordinary way, because of course, style is so much more than the clothes we wear. Um, so I've, I've just had a lot of fun uh, with that podcast and I'm going to be interviewing um, uh, actually uh, uh, Zach Posen. I just interviewed him. He's going to be coming up when we first drop the podcast in the new season in uh, March. And I'm going to be interviewing Cameron Silver, you know, the great vintage guy who's also the creative director of the uh, H. Halston label now too. But um, he's going to talk a lot about vintage and that whole movement that uh, we were talking about earlier. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited um, that I can keep my hand in so many different pies. I also write um, a lot. I write for a magazine called Living Lux, which is a luxury lifestyle magazine. Uh, I write, I have a column in Watershed magazine, which is a great country magazine. I like to balance that city country (laughs) thing. Um, I I wrote a piece for the star last week. That was great, great fun. So I'm, you know, really enjoying, uh, just a, a multimedia mix as I always have uh, really as I always have and uh, still uh, still kicking still dancing as fast as I can <laughs> and books because you've written some books uh, I've got five books five books two autobiographies I think it's time for another one <laughs> and uh, three kids books like for that youth market you know girls say or boys uh, to, uh, to say let's say 10 to 15 that uh, and one one is uh, called the big night out about you know finding your own sense of style and the other one is called passion for fashion which is about all the different careers you could have in fashion and the third one uh, strutting it the grit behind the glamour all about modeling ah. that whole uh, world so yeah that that's fun I definitely think I've got another few books up my sleeve so uh, stay tuned <laughs> oh excellent holy cow no. <laughs> I was thinking of writing a book, but we'll see. I don't know. And it would be about the history of well, actually creeds, but. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Having trouble finding someone in the family to uh, provide information. So, cause. Oh, you, you, interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll see what I can do. Cause uh, I think it's one of the most culturally relevant high end retailers in Canadian history, just given who they dressed and who they brought in, in terms of designers <laughs> over the. Yeah. From, oh, no, absolutely. I, th- I think it's fascinating, but. Uh, um, and uh, yeah. If, Besides that, is there anything else you can share about the future of uh, the Jeannie Becker brand? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I, I really, I, I, like I say, I'm involved in a lot of different things. And you know how it is in this business. Some of them fly and some of them may not. But uh, right now, I feel like I'm at a very wonderfully uh, productive, um, exciting time in my life. And even though the world is, you know, in, in a very weird state, I think uh, we're going to get through it. I'm uh, remaining positive no matter what uh you know my dad always uh, taught me not to be afraid and never give up you know that was his motto don't be afraid never give up so i'm trying to be as fearless as i can and uh, remain as relevant as i can and uh i'm just 
you know, just can't wait to see uh, what the future holds for the industry, um, really, and for all of us. But I'm just putting my best foot forward. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much. This has been Jeannie Becker, Canadian fashion icon on the Retail Insider podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, Craig, it was so much fun. Thank you. (laughs) And that concludes part two of our exclusive interview with Jeannie Becker. And just a gentle reminder, we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every weekday morning. And it has a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles exclusive to Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area towards the bottom of our main page, and then you can get that email into your inbox every morning. Thank you everyone for listening. And until next time.